Amen. Thank you. Well, today is, uh, is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 We're fresh off of camp, so we're freshly filled with the Holy Ghost is what they would say, right? Freshly, or the, I guess the Christianese phrases would be, we're on fire for God, whatever that means. But uh, So anyways, uh, but today, so you would expect me to come back and give just this kind of really energetic, really just Holy Ghost adrenaline injected sermon, but um, actually I want to go a little different direction today, and I think this is where God is leading me. My sermon today is called Honest to God. Honest to God, we use that phrase sometimes, right? Dad, honest to God, I, I swear I didn't do it, right? But you're really lying, you actually did it, <laughs> right? Honest, a lot of times we'll use that phrase and we'll say honest to God, it's just a way of saying that. Really, truthfully, I, I didn't do it or I did do it or whatever. But that's the title of my sermon today. I want to talk about honesty. Talk about honesty. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, Bo, if you want to go there, you all know this commandment, right? In Sunday school, whenever the teacher would ask for the, for the Ten Commandments, right? This would be the first one. You, you go to this one, right? If you didn't know any of them, you knew this one because your parents would drill it into your head, right? Do not bear false witness. In other words, in layman's terms, do not lie. Do not lie, right? Do not bear false witness. When you're going about in your life, don't, don't bear a witness that is, that is against the truth. I don't know if there's any other way I can put it. But I think that this commandment, if we really want to really look into it a little bit more, I've, I've kind of been on an Old Testament kick lately. I've been on, more specifically, the Ten Commandments. At camp, I preach on the Ten Commandments in one of my sermons, and, and I've been reading through these. And there's specific reasons why the Lord gives us these things. They're not just little things that your Sunday school teacher was like, oh, tisk tisk, little Johnny, you better do these things and you'll live a happy life. It's like, no, these are commandments that God has given us to build upon the foundations of our life with. And if we will implement these in our life, we will walk in, in, in a certain kind of victory like Bradley talked about this morning. Thou shalt not bear false witness. But it goes beyond lying. It's the demeanor in which we carry ourselves. It's, it's the way that we carry ourselves. And church, what I want to tell you this morning is that many of us have walked in here with a facade. We've walked in here with a fake face on. We've walked in here with a front that we have put on to seem better than we actually are in front of people that are around us. If we're being real, that's how it is. A lot of us in here, life is not going great, yet we walk in here and we walk in here with, a, with, a, with our happy church face on. We walk in here and we put on a facade. We put on a facade to act like things aren't actually as bad as they are whenever really on the inside we're dying and we're hurting and we're broken. And we just want to act like everything is all hunky-dory. That's lying. That's bearing false witness to your brother and sister. And we need to stop it. You can never build a healthy church. You can never build healthy relationship whenever we have facades, whenever we have these things in our life that, are, that we're, we're hiding from other people. We want to act like it's all good and okay. We want to act like there's nothing wrong. I call it social media Christianity. You ever seen anybody put anything negative on social media, right? No, it's always your best life. It's always the best filters, always the best photos, always the best moments of your life. It's always the happy birthdays and the baby showers and the, and the get-togethers and the this and that because it's always the best. That's what we always portray out there. And what has happened is we have taken social media and allowed it to dictate our lives. And so now instead of just having the good moments on social media, everywhere we go, we act like things are good all the time. Everywhere we go, we act like oh man, nothing's wrong with my life. I'm just gonna put on this face and especially in church. 
especially in church. I thought a really, a really good example of this uh, is how we all dress up, right? We dress up in church. And that's not bad. If you, I mean, we all like, I like to look good sometimes. But I specifically this morning did not wear what I would normally wear to preach. What I would normally wear to preach would be in my shirt tucked in with nice brown shoes, maybe the butt, collar buttoned up, maybe a jacket, maybe a jacket. Depends on how anointed I feel the message is going to be. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That's a funny Pentecostal joke. We dress up in church. We come here, we, we get it. We get, make sure, I got to make sure I have deodorant on. You know, when I'm raising my hands, I don't want to display the person next to me in the wrong spirit. You know, don't, wanna, don't, wanna, don't want them to get a whiff of my pits. Uh, got to make sure I got the deodorant on. Got to have the good cologne. Got to make sure that everything about my appearance is up to par. Why? Because when I come into church, I better be looking good. I got to be looking dapper, as, as they would say, right? I've got to look my best so that everyone around me will think that my life's going good. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with dressing up. So if you're like Pastor Bradley here, I think he wins best dress for today. But if, if, if yeah, amen. <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you're like him and you dressed up, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with dressing up. But the, but the thing about dressing up is that it's an indicative of a, of a deeper reality within our soul. Let me say that again because some of you need to hear that. Dressing up in church is not bad, but it is indicative of a deeper reality of the soul. A lot of times we put on a facade. A lot of times we're actually looking like, like our soul. If we, could, if we could just draw a picture here of how our soul looks. Our soul looks like you just walked out of bed with sweatpants on and a, a baggy shirt and messy hair on a Saturday morning. But we like to act like with everyone else like we're wearing a tuxedo or a dress. That's, like we, that's how we try to act. Things are not good. Things, things are not always good. And we need to bring out a, a level of honesty, a level of honesty. And this doesn't preach in a lot of churches, especially Pentecostal churches. I'm going to rock the boat here a little bit. Because of what the American prosperity gospel has done to us, we think that if we can name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and, and all kinds of stuff, that it will come our way. We'll walk in prosperity and victory at all times. Yes, the scriptures are right. There is victory in his right hand. But anybody who has lived life for any amount of time knows that victory does not always come our way. Things don't always go our way. The scripture says God is working all things for good, but that doesn't mean all things are good right now. So for us to have this kind of mindset like, like everything in my life is going to be good and grand and peaches and cream because I prayed a prayer. We need to stop that. We need to come down to reality and face the facts that, that this kind of gospel of, of just come to church and, and live your life and everything's going to be all great. That's just not how it is. And it leads to a level of facade. It leads to a level of fakeness in our churches that we need to get rid of in Jesus' name. Jesus was real, man. He was real. Jesus did not live with the facade. We'll get to this here in a minute, but on the worst day in history, the crucifixion of God, he was real. He was real. And I believe, as I'm thinking about this, you know, we like to, we, we at this church, we proclaim this book, right? We read this book. There's power in the word, right? I encourage you, a second what Bradley said, go grab one of those Bible reading plans. If you don't know where to start, start with us, read with us. There's power in this book. 
And we would profess that. We would proclaim that. We would say that I want to live by what the Bible says. Okay, if if you want to live by what the Bible says, then we need to take the facade off. Because in this book, if you have ever read the Psalms, you have seen that in the biblical narrative, there is nothing but honesty from the people of God. There is nothing but honesty whenever people are talking to God, whenever they're praying to God, whenever they're writing the Psalms, when they're writing the Lamentations. Have you ever even, have you ever read these things? There's honesty in them. A lot of times when we come to God, we want to put out a a fakeness there. I want to ask you a question. You know, we all want to be blessed by God. We all want God to bless us. But how can God bless the person you really are whenever all you show him is the person you're faking to be? Let me say that again. Some of you need to hear that. How can God bless the person you really are when you're faking and asking him to bless the person you're faking to be. God already knows you, man. God knows everything about you. God created this whole world. God created everything in it. He knows the, 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 from, the, from, the, from the coming up of the sun in the morning to the going down, everything in between. He knows how the water works, how the grass grows, how the fish swim, how you operate, how our blood flows through our veins. He knows every mistake you've made, every mistake you're gonna make, every mistake you might be making right now everything that you're going through, every situation you've been in, every hurt that's been done against you, every hurt that you've had in your life, every bit of pain, every ounce of sorrow, every tear you've cried, God knows it. Don't think he doesn't know. Don't put a limit on God. He knows every single thing, everything. And so who are you to keep it from him? Who are you to keep your pain from him? Who are you to keep your sorrow from him? If he already knows everything, then you're the one that's living in the lie. You're the one that's living in the fantasy. You're the one that's living in an alternate reality. Because God already knows everything about you. He's waiting for you, church. He's waiting for you to take that pain, to take that sin, to take that shame, that sorrow, that condemnation you've been living with, and to to take it out of your soul. And as Ezekiel would say, he wants to take out that stony heart, and he wants to give you a heart of flesh, a, a good heart, a heart that pumps good. The scriptures reveal to us an honesty about God. I challenge you to read the Psalms and you'll find it everywhere. Everywhere. Because I'll just be transparent with you for a moment. Bradley and I get up here every week and we do a little introduction. We've implemented that. I don't know if you've noticed that. And when we do that, we try to get a scripture that's really, you know, it's going to get the people fired up. You know, it's going to lead us straight to the throne room, right? We're going to praise God with everything we have, right? But a lot of times when I'm skimming through these psalms, more often than not, I'm not seeing the praise dance, but I'm seeing the honest cry for help. God, my enemies are surrounding me. God, the wicked live day and night. How long, O Lord? How long? How long? We've got to have a level of honesty that is the same as the Scriptures. Same as the Scriptures. So this morning, I want to talk about biblical faith and what this looks like in the context of everything I've just said. The context of everything I've just said. If you're a note taker, I've labeled it down to three points for you. So you're welcome. Biblical faith is founded upon, colon, point number one, brutally, uh, being brutally honest. Biblical faith is founded upon being brutally honest. God is big. God is strong. God is mighty. Your words that you say to him will not hurt him. 
It won't hurt his feelings. It's not as if God is, is soft or God is, is a little girl, God, God who, or, or a little boy for that matter, because little boys cry a lot too. I, I, yeah, I've been to kids camp. Uh, a lot of, God is not a little child. Your feelings of how you feel about things are not going to hurt him. And furthermore, he already knows how you feel, so you keeping it from him isn't doing anything good. We've got to have a level of brutal honesty. I've already said this. Read the Psalms. But in the Psalms, there's a lot of things that you wouldn't say in church. There's a lot of things in the Psalms that if we came up here and said from the pulpit, ooh, man, you guys might not come back next week. You wouldn't say these things in church because it's honesty. It's honesty and it wouldn't fly in church because we don't have honest churches. We build facades, act like everything's all right, walk in victory 24-7. Danger, hurt, sorrow? Yeah, never heard of her. That's how we act. And we've got to wipe it off. We've got to have brutal honesty. You guys remember the story of Adam and Eve? I hope you do. In Genesis chapter 3, but you're gonna go next. There's there's a story of, of the fall of man. I'm hurt, sure you've heard of it. Eve takes of the fruit, right, and eats it. And and we'll, we'll, I'll just read it here, but uh, it has a really good insight for us. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals, and the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, "Did God really say that you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden?" Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not uh, eat or even touch it. If you do, you surely will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open and as soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. It was at that moment their eyes were open and they were suddenly felt the shame of their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, uh, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I feel like that's a good place. Let's stop and let's pray right there. We'll get into it a little bit more. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for the ways in which you meet us, even when we hide from you. God, I thank you for the ways in which when we are being fake and we're putting on a facade and we're hiding ourselves, God, you are constantly pursuing us. God, you're constantly wanting to walk with us in the cool of the day. God, tear down walls of fakeness, I pray in Jesus' name. God, I pray that today we would come to a realization of, of, of the depths of our soul, God, and where we need healing. God, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Some of you have gone through life and have felt pain. Actually, let me rephrase that. All of you have gone through life and felt pain. Just some of you, it's been maybe a little bit more scarring than others. Some of you have sinned in ways that you feel like you can never be forgiven of. 
Some of you have felt shame and condemnation in the depths of your soul in ways that you would never speak to anyone about. And what I would contend to you this morning is this, that you're like Adam and Eve. I'm like Adam and Eve. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our hurting, what we do is we hide from God, we take leaves together and we sow them, we try to cover up the wound, we try to cover up the hurt and the pain, we try to suppress it down, but that doesn't do any good. It doesn't do us any good because God comes calling after us and he says, why did you hide? Why have you been hiding? God is constantly pursuing us. He's constantly going after us even when we want to hide from him. God sees your pain. He sees your circumstance. There's no reason to hide it from him. There's no reason to put the leaves over. Biblical faith is founded upon being brutally honest. What does this look like practically? But let's go to the next verse. Jesus, on the worst day in history, we sang about this morning, the cross, the old rugged cross, right? The cross. We view it as a symbol of hope. We view it as a symbol of salvation and healing because that's what it is because of what happened on the third day. But we cannot, for, we cannot remember Easter but without, forget, or without remembering, I'm going to fall, Good Friday. Jesus is on the cross on Good Friday. And he says this, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Maybe you've been there. Jesus on the cross actually cites just the first line of this. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me or abandoned me? Some versions will say. And I want to go on a quick theological rabbit trail here. I know when people hear the word theological, they shut their brains off. But listen, there is a school of Christian thought that will teach you that on the cross, God the Father rejected God the Son and turned his back on him. There is a theology that will teach that. But I'm here to tell you that there has never been a point in which the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been without each other. They've always been in constant union. They've always been together as the Trinity. What is Jesus saying here then? Because people will take this one line and they will, they will distort it to say that. They'll say that God turned his back on Jesus. But if God turned his back on Jesus, then what's stopping him from turning his back on you when you're hurt, when you're broken? You see, I don't believe in the God that turns his back from brokenness, but I believe in the God that goes right into brokenness and brings healing from the inside out. That's the God I believe in. And that's what happens here, guys. This is what we see on the cross. Jesus is not saying that God actually abandoned him. Jesus, as any good rabbi would do, was quoting the first line of a psalm to recite the whole psalm. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Because he wants to bring to the attention of the listeners this whole psalm, Psalm 22. This is what we call in church a lamentation, okay? So the second point is biblical faith is founded upon lament. That's not a, that's not a sexy word in American Christianity. That's not, a, that's not a glamorous word, but I want to tell you this morning that lament is a, is a biblical thing. It's something that when we read the Bible, we see all over the place. You ever heard of the book called Lamentations? It's chock full of them. That's what it's all about. Lament is simply this. Real doubt and questioning real doubt and questioning that finds its trust in God. 
Many of you have been there. You might not have known that's what it was. You might not have known that the church word for it is lament. But it is a, it is a questioning. It is a doubt. And, it, and, and a lot of times in, in Christianity that brings about a kind of certitude and certainness about God, what happens is we say, there's no room for questions. There's no room for doubts. But if you've lived life long enough, you have questioned God. And you have doubted God. But lament is this, that in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our questioning, in the midst of our pain, we find our hope and our trust in God, in the one who made us. We say, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I trust you. I trust you, God. And that is what a lamentation is. That is lament. Many of us have felt real pain. And we've asked that question of why, God? God, why have you abandoned me? Because if we're honest, sometimes we feel like that, right? Sometimes we feel like, God, where are you? I believe, this, isn't, this is free preaching, this isn't my notes, but listen here. One of the many reasons Jesus came, and one of the many significant purposes of the cross, is that God brings salvation by association. God brings salvation to you and I because he is now associated with you and I because he became a human. He became one of us. He felt the sorrow. He felt the pain. He felt the nails in his arms. He felt the, all the blood and the anguish. That is one of the great purposes of salvation is that God now knows you and I. Before Jesus came, before the word became flesh, there was no humanity represented in heaven. None. It's just God. But now the word has become flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen him and he has seen us. He has felt our pain. He's felt our sorrow. And so in every single way that we have been tested and tried, he has been tested and tried. We see this in the lament of Christ on the cross. That as he is taking the nails in his hands, as he is bearing the crown of thorns, as he is, as he is enduring the whipping and the lashing, I don't mean to get too graphic, but this is what it was. And there's no reason to dole it down. The kids are out of church. This was a lynching. This was a murder of the Son of God. We've all gone through pain. So has Jesus. And in the midst of his pain, Jesus did not go and he did not say, uh, he, he did not say, uh, his name is in the song, but I think of this song. He didn't sing, victory in Jesus, my Savior. No, Jesus was not up there on the cross singing some sort of funky, you know, upbeat hymn. He was there crying, hurting, yelling, screaming. Because God has entered into the pain. And when he enters into the pain, we see him recite this psalm out of an act of lamentation. God has felt the pain. And he says it here. Biblical faith is founded upon lament. Some of you need to lament. Some of you have felt pain for so long that you don't even know it's there anymore. Like it's so ingrained into your life, it's so ingrained into who you are that you don't understand that you've been living for pain for too long. God wants you to express that to him. God wants you to go through it, to express your pain 
with honesty. With honesty. God doesn't want you to lie. God doesn't want you to bear false witness before him. God wants you to be real. To be real. Quit being fake. God wants you to be real about your pain and about your hurt. Third point. Biblical faith is founded upon complete trust in God. Complete trust in God. Although Jesus cites this psalm, what I find to be very interesting is that once you look into this whole psalm, because this is what Jesus is doing, he's reciting one line, remember this, he's reciting one line to reference the whole of the psalm. When you read the psalm at the very end, Bo, go to the next verse, it, Jesus, the psalm says this, for he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries of help. Praise God. When we lament, when we bring our pain, our struggle, our, our sin, our shame, our condemnation to God, what we find is not that God has turned his back on us, but he listens to us. He hears us. We serve the God who hears. We serve the God who inclines his ear towards the brokenhearted. And so if you're in this place and you have deep pain, deep wounds, there is a God who hears you. There is a God who knows you. There's a God who hears your story. That does not mean that the pain is any less real, okay? So don't, don't, don't twist what I'm saying here. What it means is that there's a God who hears your pain. And when you pray, he does hear you. It may not take it away immediately, but what God wants to do is through your pain is to transform you. I believe this, that God does not bring about evil purposes, any way, shape, or form. But God uses what has been done for harm for his good and for our good. That's what God does. Gen in, in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph talks to his brothers, right? And he says, what you, my brothers, have meant for harm, the Lord has meant for good. God is going to turn your situation. I believe in a good. He will. I believe in that. I believe in a God of hope. There's a, there's a book out there written by my uncle in which I, this is where I got much of my study for this message. It's all about this. It's called Imprisoned to Hope. You can look it up. But as Christians, we are imprisoned to hope. We are anchored to hope. We are chained to hope. Because even in the midst of our deepest, darkest wounds, even in the midst of the night where it seems like nothing's going to get better, even in the midst of the hurt and of the pain and of the sorrow and of the wound that happened to you years ago and that thing that someone did to you that you would never speak to anyone or that sin that you've committed that you would never tell anyone about, in the midst of that pain and sorrow, we have a God of hope. We have a God of hope that makes beauty from ashes, that pain might come in the night, but joy comes in the morning. This is good news. This is where the trust in God comes from. We trust in God because we know that He is God. He is God alone. There's never a moment where He has stopped being God and someone needs to hear that. Someone here needs to hear that this morning. That God is God and He's never stopped being God. He's always been supreme. He's always been number one. We have to trust in Him. Biblical faith is founded upon trust in God. You might have questions, you might have doubts, you might have hurts, 
But we bring them to God. We don't hide them. We don't suppress them or push them down. But we bring them to God because we trust that He has a strong and mighty right hand and that in Him there is victory and in Him there is hope and in Him there is life. But if you bring your hurt and you just suppress it, you'll never receive the victory. You'll never receive the hope. You'll never receive the healing. It'll constantly be with you till you die. And I, I, I just feel such a conviction about this. I feel such a, such a prophetic call to this. There are people in here that have had hurts in their life that are pushing them down. And I'm telling you, stop it in Jesus' name. Bring them to God. I've come to tell you the truth today that God does care for you, that God does have a plan and a hope for you, that God has a purpose for you, that God has a life in store for you. But if you continue to push down hurt and pain, you'll never experience life and life more abundantly. The Bible says that, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's come to steal your joy. He's come to steal your happiness. But God has come to heal your wound. He's come to heal. In the book of Malachi, says that he comes with healing in his wings. Comes with healing in his wings. I used to go to, uh, I've, I've told this before many times, I used to go to a Methodist church. And when I came to this church, a big reason why I became, quote unquote, Pentecostal, one is because I'm very high energy, and Pentecostals are very high energy, so we kind of, it's kind of just a match made in heaven. But the real reason why is because I heard this talk about a God who delivers, about a God who saves, about a God who heals, about a God who can set free the captive, about a God who can take the wounds and the hurts of this world and can turn them for good. And I said, that's a God I believe in. That's a God I will serve. That's a God that I will give my whole life to because I'm on board with that. I am all in on that. There is a God with healing in his wings. And, and if there's anything that God brings about, it is healing that this broken world is not all that there is, but that step by step, day by day, time after time, God is bringing about healing. He is bringing about a greater purpose in this world. Someone needs to hear that. Your darkness is not the end, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. There is a God who can be trusted and should be trusted. Biblical faith is founded upon complete trust in God. A lot of questions we don't have the answers to. And you may never have the answer to it. That untimely death of a loved one, that way in which your parent treated you, that way in which that person talked to you or, or did something to you, that untimely death, that, that divorce, that miscarriage, that addiction, that sin, that shame, that condemnation, whatever it is, don't think God doesn't know about it. And it's not that you'll... You're, you may never get an answer until we see him, until we meet him in, in glory. You may never get an answer. But we've got to trust in God. We might cry out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Where are you? But he has not turned his back on the needy. He has not turned his back on those in distress. But he listens to their cry for help. You may not get an answer, but know what you will get? Jesus said this, and I'm done, I'm almost done, I promise. You will face many trials and tribulations in this life, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And then Jesus later says this, he says, 
it's better that I leave. For when I go, I will send you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to, to wrap the arms of God around you. And in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your hurt, God will bring you healing and restoration of soul. At this time, I've been talking all about those of you that might have been suppressing pain. 